Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Second hour is here from 6th and Peabody. It's OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. Crew is all back together. Our thanks to Philip Fulmer for joining us. If you missed all or a portion of that interview, you can find that podcast will be available wherever you download your podcast just search out outkick 360 you can do the same online through the youtube channel and you can live stream through twitter as well as listen to the great radio station you're tuned into right now speaking of uh, the youtube channel we are now also up and live uh, for the final two hours of every show from four to six eastern time three to five central on the outkick youtube page as well so for those that have been watching on the OutKick 360 page, you can continue to do so, no problem. But we're also going to be live on the OutKick YouTube page. So UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati, uh, they're going to join the Big 12 in 2023. Uh, that was announced on Friday through the conference. They're going to welcome those three. And BYU is coming as well. Uh, that has led to the discussion of when Oklahoma and Texas will be leaving to join the Southeastern Conference. Um, it is the date that's been out there is 2025. Uh, but now there's discussion that it could be as early as 2024. Um, and, and that football season specifically is the more realistic date for when they'll actually be integrated into the SEC schedule. And we will actually see Texas and Oklahoma join the pods in the nine game conference, which we all think is happening, uh, sooner rather than later. Maybe we get it moved up even before then, but at least over the weekend, it inched up by 12 months. So I, I'm doing a, a working on a piece right now for Outkick.com that should drop tomorrow where we get I, – it's a deeper dive into what we talked about last week, Hutton, with the 6-3 model and my plan for every – all three constant opponents for every team. And I'm kind of doing this fairness ranking based on SEC win percentage historically – and then your opposition's win percentage. And I'm going to look individually, historically, in the SEC and see win percentage amongst the teams you play constantly every year. Um, it's a good idea. People are probably going to claim that uh, I'm, I'm treating Tennessee too generously with this, with their schedule. But that's, it's going to break out that way for someone, right? That's going to be kind of my point. There's no way to make it completely fair when you have teams historically that have been very different in terms of win percentage against the other ones, right? I mean, when... Alabama, for instance, I've got this in front of me right now, is second all-time in wins, and they're 513 and 208 and 27 all-time, and Vanderbilt nationally is 99th, and they're 210 and 449 all-time, and their SEC win percentage, that's just in the SEC, by the way, when the percentages are that different, then you're going to have you know issues that arise, and it's going to lead you to want to, and this is what gives you better games, probably. You put the good teams historically against other good teams historically while mm -hmm. trying to not stack it with three of those opponents every year being juggernauts. 
historically. But back to Oklahoma I'd and argue, Texas. Hold on. Let me interject yeah. there. I, I, I'd argue you should have set a more modern date on it. Not that Alabama isn't all-time successful in whatever period you're going to look at and Vanderbilt isn't all-time bad at whatever period you're going to look at. But I'd say last 20 years – last 25 years would be more informative to me well, than the all-time success of Ole Miss or Mississippi State or Well, here's how whoever. I looked at it, Paul, because I wanted to start in 1992 because that's when South Carolina and Arkansas joined yeah, the conference. Yeah, that would have been good for me. But Oklahoma and Texas have never been in the SEC. So what I did was I took Oklahoma and Texas' actual SEC record historically. They've played, for instance, Oklahoma. Texas has played over 200 games in their history against the SEC. In football. So I've got that record. They're 191, 93, and 9 against the SEC. Oklahoma is 110, 49, and 8 against the SEC. South Carolina and Arkansas, even when they were in other conferences, they played that. So I just took everyone historically in the SEC. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I, if I put, a, if I put a, a level on it, it'd be 1992. I'd go the last 30 years because that's when the conference expanded. But looking at every program historically, Oklahoma and Texas are the second and third teams in the SEC now, historically, behind Bama. Bama, Oklahoma, Texas, Tennessee, Georgia. That's one through five historically with win percentage in the conference. And that's that's nationally going within the conference too. So, uh, again, this is going to drop tomorrow. But that's just to, to wrap this up in a bow, that's how important these two programs are nationally and to the SEC. This is not some oh, they're going to come to the SEC and now have to play with the big boys. That's true to an extent, but these are two of the best programs all time that are joining this conference. How much have they played? They're going to hold their own just fine. I don't know if you'll know this off the top of your head. How much have they played the SEC in the last 10 or 15 years? I don't know. Yeah. Not as much, probably, because teams are less inclined to play. They'll play them in bowl games. You know, that's where they'll see each other. Oklahoma's played Tennessee twice. Texas had Arkansas, for instance, last year. Yeah. Oklahoma and Tennessee have met up a couple times. I mean, it, it happens. And I think it's going to happen that they'll negotiate that media rights deal down some. They're, they're going to have to pay a big amount, but it's not, I don't think it's going to end up being like the nine figures that both teams combined would have to pay if they were to leave right now. Like if you're going to, if you're going to negotiate this for an, an earlier exit, maybe we get earlier than 2024. Can it be as early as 2023 based on, you know they, they've got to determine here we like within the next what two league-wide meeting sessions what they're going to if it's going to be earlier than 2024 what they're going to do schedule-wise because then you you I think you begin all of that as you welcome Texas and Oklahoma in and they're already having if they don't have a voice they have uh, they have a phone and a, a a Zoom or something for these meetings they've been asked to you know, listen in. And, and chime in, but they, of course they don't have the the quote unquote vote in this. But they're treating they're being treated like future members of the SEC as they should uh, with with their opinion. But uh, ba- based on uh, th- those two teams, we're headed to a nine game schedule, and I think it's going to be great. I mean, it's, I, I, I'm interested to, to read Chad's piece at Outkick tomorrow because it will include, I'm sure, if you're adding the extra game, it's removing that dud of a weekend that we normally get in early November which or, or mid-November. I'm, I'm all for that. But it'll also make teams, some teams, much less likely to schedule a good game out, out of conference. I think 
looking, but it's better. Looking at it, yeah, and, and what it's really going to cost, maybe it does, right? Maybe there's one. A bunch of these teams are still going to play one premier out-of-conference game, even with a nine-game SEC schedule. They're not going to be afraid of that, and they're going to do it for their fans and for the sport. Uh, what it really hurts are the teams that their goal is to make a bowl. Right. If your goal is to win six out of 12 games, for those programs, this makes that very hard. This makes it a lot more difficult because I don't care if you are, if one of these constant opponents is one of the historically worst winning percentage teams in the SEC, that's still a heck of a lot harder than UL Monroe at home or a game you would have scheduled otherwise for those teams. And there will be annual complaints about your regular opponents, and that'll become part of the football fabric. You know, every year somebody's going to say, oh, we had to play two harder teams than you had to play, and That'll just be part of it. But the good news with it is, this is something, you know, I'm looking at the constant three opponents, but to keep in mind with this, you're going to play every team in the SEC every two, right. over a two-year like span. That. I like that. The, yeah. Right? There are 16 teams. You get, there's 15 opponents. You get three each year, and you're going to rotate the other six of those, the 12 teams, one year, the other six teams the next. So over the course of four years, you are going to go to every venue in the SEC. Everyone who stays four years at the school – will have visited every stadium in the SEC. They can't say that right now. And you're going to see the entire conference over a two-year span, which is pretty cool when you think about it. That's, that's something we I haven't like seen it. in a while. And like you said, a, a guy who comes We've and stays for four years will have played everywhere Yep, in the conference. Yesterday, uh, Roy McElroy and Justin Thomas put on a show in the final round while watching the highlights, especially with Rory and the shots he was making uh, yesterday in the final round of the Canadian Open. Uh, made waves because while he's accepting the trophy, he's also mentioning that it's his 21st win on the PGA Tour, one more than someone else, was the quote. That someone else was Greg Norman, who has 20 career in, wins on the, on the PGA Tour, and of course is the CEO of the Live Tour, which handed out $35 million uh, this, over the course of uh, a 54-hole tournament this weekend, or last week in London, uh, the first of eight events on their schedule. They handed out $35 million uh, through their purse for first through last place. Uh, we were talking with uh, with Peter Kern earlier. He said the, the last place, uh, Chad, for 48th finisher was made over 125 grand. I think it was 125 in grand, and it was a ridiculously bad score. That, yeah, that, like that plus first 18. shot over As the compared tournament. to not making a cut and financing his own trip yes. to the RBC. Exactly. I mean, if that's like, there's all these, you know, uh, the. The, the quote from McElroy, as you mentioned, you know, this is a day I'll remember for a long, long time, 21st PGA Tour win, one more than someone else. That gave me a little bit of extra incentive today and happy to get it done. The ultimate comeback from anyone on the Live Tour is, well, my incentive is making that much more money than you or that I did over there. So, ha, if you want to make money the, the last thing, they could always laugh over the money they received. Look, I, I like Rory, and I'm with Rory on this, but again, this is the second week in a row, where, or third week in a row, where somebody's made what's being perceived as a huge slight that doesn't strike me as funny or, or that insulting. I, I mean, mean, he wants it to be funny. Uh, there are a lot of insults. Oh, yeah. they, they, they hate around. the Paul. There's a lot of them that hate the players that left. I don't think he's trying to be funny at all. Like, it Cutting. is war for them that they, they really feel like. I mean, it, it, it sounds odd to me, I guess, but there's such a loyalty right. to the PGA Tour to some of these guys. Like, why would you well, do I don't that think that's to the, the I don't think that, that's that cutting. Yeah. I mean, you, you could, well. I, I mean, I think he's Roy making McElroy's a strong not the type stand. of personality who's going to, you know. Right. 
He's not going to go Jimbo Fisher. Here's in a press the thing that gets me: Phil walking away. You know, a couple golf riders approached him, and he said, "See you in Boston, guys." Well, if you're all about quote unquote growing the game, what did you do after this tournament to grow the game? If, if you're going to hide from questions this whole time. And I think some of these golf riders were actually willing to ask some golf questions after a golf tournament. They, they realized, like, there are going to be times where we're going to pressure you about the whole thing. But we did come here to cover a, a golf tournament, and we're going to ask some golf questions. I think Shupnik said he was going to ask Phil what club he used on 16 for his approach. And he got escorted out. <laughs> and got escorted out. So, you know, and look, I understand that this is the beginning and stuff. But if you're really going to sit up there and tell everybody or your whole thing is I'm here to grow the game and then you're not going to talk to anybody after the thing, uh, you're not planting many seeds growing the game. Yeah, but you're, you're, you're reading his quote or hearing it wrong. He's growing the game by being a part of a tour that's direct com- competition to the PGA Tour that's restricting players on doing certain things, or at least that's how it's perceived right now. I don't know how it plays out in the courts. He's not looking to grow the game at the local country club. Uh, where the sixth graders teen off. He's growing the game for the pros who want to make more money and not have to pay for the media rights that were written into a contract prior to the start of Instagram or YouTube or anything being... Any, uh, we didn't have a dial-up internet based on the rules. No, that I get that, at. but also, I, I think if you're going to grow the game, I don't know if you get to pick and choose. I think you've got to go all avenues to grow the This is me talking, my, my opinion. If you're going to do this and grow the game and claim that you're setting aside the human rights stuff in the name of growing the game, then I would say you've got to grow it every avenue available. And one of those avenues is some kid in London is going to pick up a club because you were there. And you've got to be available in every way, shape, or form to, to, for that kid to see and hear you and whatever. And part of that's answering questions about your rent. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah. It's all about how you look at the statement about growing it, and I, I see what you're saying, Paul. I also think Phil Mickelson's probably coming from it from, I'm growing it because now there's another option that's a viable option for players. So in turn, competition is going to raise all boats. And then there's going to be more option for pros. They're going to see all this money. Right. There's going to be more, even more people wanting to get into golf young. But I say out of that, this then you've got to do everything. Well, even, even if it blows up, he's that. probably thinking, this is going to force the PGA to change some things. It's going to be better for the PJ in the long run because they've got competition for the first time ever. Uh, Nick Faldo and Jim Nance also went off uh, on the live tour during the, the broadcast. And Faldo's quotes were interesting to me and in how he how he put it up there. It wasn't, you know, Jim Nance went very much more into the Jay uh, Monahan type betrayal, lack of loyalty type thing, you know, of what they did to leave. But Nick Faldo said, number one, you saw those faces. You can't feel good being a major champion to be suspended from the tour, talking about the players who left. We've got two totally different golf tournaments going on. One, talking about the PGA, we play for tournaments and national championships over here. The Live Tour is what? 54 holes, no cut, shotgun start? It just sounds crazy. The other thing that is very noticeable, this is what jumped out to me, is the players that left. Obviously, they're in their mid-40s. They've been out here on tour. They've been battling away, and they probably know they can't win out here against the youngsters. So they're taking the easy option to go over and try to win a boatload of cash, calling it the easy option. They don't have to try to win a boatload of cash because they're getting an appearance fee that's a boatload of cash. That's also not the case with Dustin Johnson. 
Yeah. I mean, I think what he's saying well, is Johnson true and about Mickelson are the Charles Schwartzel and but but Mickelson also he's not going to win on tour anymore. No. I mean, he, that was a complete. He's fluke. an attraction. I mean, I won so much money at FanDuel because it was a total fluke that he won the PGA. Right. Uh, he's just a name and an attraction. DeChambeau's a guy who could still win on the PGA Tour. Absolutely. But he's going to join. Right. So, I mean, he's right now, but I don't know that he's going to be right forever. Well, who's next? There's going to be other who's ones next? that jump on board. Who's next? And the question is, what about the majors? That's the biggest question. Well, the, Because the, the way Tiger talked, it's about legacy, and the legacy is attached to the majors. If you can go play in this and still be welcome at the majors – People are going to go. Well, he's, he's playing this week. Phil Mickelson's playing this week. That's why he said see you in Boston. The, the U.S. Open is this weekend. He, and the USGA has already announced that these guys are welcome to play. In fact, Phil Mickelson did a press conference today um, whenever he arrived at the U.S. Open uh, with reporters where he, he told uh, whoever is with the USGA and, and media, said, I guess they were discussing, like, do you want you want the presser cut off at a certain point? He said, no, we're going to go as long as it Doesn't takes. Doesn't the PGA have some hold over the PGA, the major, the PGA? Yeah, that'll be the only major that they do. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it'll be the one so they the can one. hold them out of. So that's yeah. the So they the can compete one. in three of the yeah, four and the still four. go so take Grand the, Slam the bag of is going to Yeah, but you're giving up Grand Slam opportunity is, is the one yeah. the one legacy thing. Well, or and career I mean, there's, Grand Slam. There's, you know, Roy McIlroy talking about winning 21 times on tour. That's something. I mean, the other tournaments do matter, but not right. like None the of us are naming majors. them. We no. can't tell you who won anything. We don't care. The, and we're not tuning into a regular golf tournament except if we hear something big's going on or if you lay down on your TV right. on a Sunday and flip around and go, oh, here's an interesting... But that's the, that's the biggest thing, I think, for the next phase of this. You ask, like, who's next? Uh, Bubba Watson has been rumored to be next. Um, Another guy who's not winning on tour. And Chet. that's one that surprises yeah, but, but me because see, winning Bubba on Watson tour is, is not the point. When, it is, no, it's the money. It's the, I mean, no, no, no. It's not even the money. It, it is the brand. Bubba Watson's brand. There are about 30 to 35 golfers who prop up the PGA. Yes. Like if you're really right. being honest yeah, and move the needle. Uh, absolutely. Bubba Watson on tour is prop, it, that There's a profit no, attached I'm a, to I'm that. I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying because it's smart. Won. It's because smart for Bubba Watson. The They're going on his brand. And he's not winning or even making cuts at a lot of tournaments. So why not just go then, take the guaranteed money right now and do that if you're Bubba Watson? Chad, you said uh, last week Ricky Fowler's another one to watch. Well, Ricky Fowler's been so quiet about it that people are speculating he's going to be the next one to jump. Uh, Gary Player, who's 86 years old, had this to say about it. He said there's not a lot of them on the Live Tour who can win on the regular tour anymore. But he went on to say, however, they are wisely taking the money at this point in their career saying that about their, their golfing career at this point. And that's, that's the case with a lot of them, but there's still names. You know, Bubba Watson, we know. Uh, th- that's the key for the draw of the Live Tour. Paul, you weren't here last week, but we watched some of it on the website, and I thought, the because I'm not accustomed to it, the team logos on the side, because they're all part of a team on it, was distracting. Explain to me how the team but element But the broadcast, there's, it's 48 players, there's 12 teams of four. I don't know exactly. They changed the rules a little bit from tournament to tournament, how so the scoring works. But they have like a certain logo there's and a, name for each there's team. There's a money at the end for the lowest team as yeah. well as the and lowest the team is your score. Group? Yeah. 
So and you'll have a team captain every week. It's based on the. It's F1. not your group. They're all in different times. It's a shotgun start okay. type thing. So they're playing at different your times. You're spread throughout. No, the it's field. not your group. I mean, I'm, when you say group, I mean like your foursome. Your team yeah. is scattered throughout the tournament. And I guess I, I guess you could be paired up with these guys because it's a draft. That's coincident. It changes each week. Oh, it changes each week. The, the, there are twelve team captains uh, through the first seven events that change up. So the, those who drafted this week technically won't draft this. For the next tournament, which is uh, over the July Fourth weekend, um, the the way I read it's it, it's a game within a game. It's a game within a game, and it gives it. There's a three million dollar purse at the end of it that's that's split evenly amongst four players at the end of the tournament. If your team ends up with the lowest team score, combined score. But the the logos he's talking about on the side, there are twelve logos. It's the F1 model, which the investors in F1, the, the investors in this tour are also big time investors in f1 and so it's it's based on the f1 team model where there's also a prize pool for your you know there's 20 drivers or 10 teams and there there are you know there's prize money at the end of that too based but on the, the same guys with. aren't on the same team every week no, no so no, that's no. what's weird about the marketing thing is like i read an athletic story that had some but, doubt about the team element but then he watched somebody spend 25 pounds on a team hat and that's weird yeah. to buy a team hat when you don't know who's on the team week to week. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know why you would buy the team hat. But, th- again, this is just how I, I interpreted what I was reading on the structure of it. They wanted to mix it up. That way there's not one team that's just dominant, you know, that, that ends up at a top 10 finish of the 48 players. You're, you're going to have a different – and then the final event, the eighth event, is a team structure. So it's it, – and they, that will not be a quote-unquote draft. This will be – you will be uh, paired up based on where you have finished to that point throughout the seven events. So it takes somehow they've linked up a structure to where you've got the top 12 and then you go through the next 12, the next 12. And that's how you snake through the, the team event. And then the final event has a boatload of money at the end for the team competition. There's obviously a, a, lot not to like about this there's obviously a lot that makes me feel incredibly uncomfortable about this but Teresa and I on the way back after we finished by the way listening to the first uh season one of serial podcast which we could talk about at some point uh listen to a Freakonomics thing about sport washing which is this thing where Russia uh or Qatar but Qatar buys you know, free pub for itself by hosting a World Cup or an Olympics and, you know, whitewashes its name to some degree, which Saudi Arabia is doing with this. But what the and difference- you see a guy who's made $75 million in his career get $150 million for simply going, and you say, well, I'd like to say I wouldn't do that, but would I do that? Well, but but keep in mind, too. For a lot less work. There's too. a big difference. For showing up. The yeah. one main difference with what... Qatar is doing with the World Cup versus what this five of six of the eight events are played in the United States. Right? No, five of the eight. the 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 sixth is in London, which has already happened. There's an event in Bangkok, and then there's one on tour in, in Saudi. Saudi. And the rest are played at clubs across the the U.S. So you don't feel like you all you do, the only part that feels bad is taking the check, and taking the check's pretty damn easy. Yeah, but they're but, direct depositing. But if you if you're if you feel bad about taking the check, I mean, look around and look at, at, at the big companies who are doing it. And I don't hear anyone mentioning that Google 
right. is, is airing this. Google through YouTube is live streaming right, or this. Boeing. Facebook but, is live streaming this. But it's different to you know fly on a Boeing jet than it is to work for them, take their money directly. I get what you're saying, and I was thinking the same thing. Like that's you know, but there there are differences. But it's 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 complicated. Well, I'll also say you know, if for for those that want to point to Saudi, we need to start asking some questions about why the PGA is a five hundred one c three. Yeah, and it's an outdated I mean, model. And they only not, donate 16% of their money to charity when the standard is 65%. They smartly got out of a lot of tax burdens when they did this whenever they it, did it. If, in fact, it changes some of the, the players' rights within the PGA Tour model, ultimately, there can be some good through this. Based on what current members on tour have, uh, I've talked with last week, uh, it, it, you know, at night preparing for the show, um, you know, they, they're hoping, they're, they're standing back going, man, you should be on a driving range for a, a, a local tournament and hear some of the chatter about what these guys are saying because it's not like everybody hates Dustin Johnson or no. you know, any, uh, Kev, a lot of people hate Kevin Na uh, because of his pace of play. But my overall point... It, these they, guys are largely friends. You see, the, you see the amount of money and then you think, man... That right now, their liquid assets, they could outspend 10 to 1 what the PGA Tour could have right now in liquid assets. That is crazy take it type to, money. Take it to 1.5 to 1 or 2 to 1 and make it not Saudi money. How healthy would it be for the sport? How interesting would it be? Yeah. And, and but see, here's, here's the final thought, Chad, and, and uh, we had a big discussion on this, Paul. The next thing for me is right now, they, they have the TV networks on their side. They've called in some favors. There's no doubt about PGA this. Does. Yes. And they're, they're not, they don't have a TV network partner for the Live Tour. They've been, they black, they've been blackballed initially, but, though. They don't even need one. Oh, they'll, but eventually, oh, they'll, they'll they're, one. they want one. I mean, so, yeah. But they don't even need it. Is there a... They could take a loss on this whole thing and not care. Well, they, they need it just for the validation. Like, there, there's, there is a huge validation with that. That right now the PGA Tour has is you can turn on the TV and you've got it right. But but again, if they want to truly compete, they need a television partner. But the, there are thirty to thirty-five individual brands, in my opinion, that prop up the PGA Tour. Yeah. And if you're, and we're, I know we've been focused on through reports like, oh, they have nineteen of the top one hundred world ranked players. The, the common fan can't tell you. Uh, who, the, who most of those? Yeah. Guys are. Uh, Unless they're looking 100. at the leaderboard. They're some of the best golfers in the world. But I'm talking individual brands. If the TV partners start losing out on the individual brands that are playing on their network on a, a weekly basis because the PGA Tour has banned them from competing, that's when the money makers and it's a billion dollar uh, contract that they've signed. I think in 2019, right before COVID, um, it, that that's when the TV networks come back and say, "Hey, uh, about this about this rule that you have that isn't allowing." Uh, Dustin Johnson to compete at dictate. a random tournament in Phoenix. They can dictate. Uh, on a weekend where he otherwise would not be competing in the Live Tour, uh, we, we would love to have him tee off on uh, live on this network. Yeah, and that's the athletic article I read said, you know, what happens to these quote-unquote nothing tournaments when they drop from a 2.6 to an 8.8 Yeah, for the sponsors, for the tour. Well, because they're not that big a deal in the large framework. They're, they're the regular season as compared to the majors being the playoffs. Get ready for more headlines uh, through Mickelson and others. Who uh, I know he's, he's talked with 
uh, the media at the U.S. Open about the Live Tour and about how he expects to be received by fans. He's playing, and uh, you can bet the others that have been on the Live Tour will be grilled the same way, but none more than Mickelson. Coming up, DK Metcalf did not uh, attend the mandatory minicamp a week ago. Terry McLaurin is now this week's version of Metcalf at the wide receiver position, but the leverage just doesn't feel the same as A.J. Brown, for instance. We'll, we'll discuss this and the motives behind not going to mandatory minicamp and what it could mean for McLaurin and Metcalf. That's next on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 rolls on. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Paul wasn't with us when we wrapped up the show Friday discussing A.J. Brown in Philly. Our topic here will tie into that and we can veer off a bit if we need to. Um, Terry McLaurin not attending mandatory minicamp for the Washington Commanders. Last week, DK Metcalf um, was not excused from the Seattle Seahawks minicamp session. Let's, uh, I don't know if you talk the money. If you're on your first contract, if I'm remembering correctly, 40K no, a day. But I if clarif- you're on your second contract, 50K a day. That's in, well, so that is correct. However, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be a mandatory fine if the team wants to you know it's working we've always you. referenced this back in the day uh you know i used pac-man jones as example right. he well, held up 29 days in and then, camp and then showed up and then they agreement. just whitewashed the right. the fines um the teams can do that for mini camp once training camp comes about it's lock it, it, it is a must mandatory you even if the team doesn't want to retroactively go back and erase the fine they have to find the player we saw that with vic beasley here in nashville a couple of years yes. ago yes. when he showed up now the I team can't remember how many days late unexplained it was, like a week. it was like five days yeah and he was paying fifty thousand dollars a day so I, I i said last week paul i said man uh, i and i apologize to the listeners and the viewers i thought that it was a mandatory fine right now and because if of the that teams are on good if they're on good terms and they trying to sort things out they can yeah not so I, but under the assumption that it's a mandatory fine which it's a fine and it's you mandatory later but right now they could still find them i said man dk metcalf doesn't have that leverage right now that he would have prior to the draft like i, I think the leverage play is whenever a team can get something in return immediately to replace the player on the field immediately and if you want the contract extension I don't know if not showing up and getting fined is the way to go about it. Even without the fine, I don't think you have the leverage right now. What are you forcing? Well, that, that's the other question. Because the next step is for you not mu- to show up for training camp, and then the fine comes in, and then, then you can't force anything. And if you force no. the trade, let's say part of this equation is not just you're forcing the team's hand and you get what you want from them. What if you don't? What if the team trades you and you get something you want from the other team? Do, does the team then still fine you? I would. Oh, great. You got what you want. We traded you even though we wanted you, but you, so now you owe us that money. Well, I think money. you probably have to decide to fine yeah, but if a, you're, as it's happening. Chad, if you're getting traded, you're getting $50 million guaranteed. Yeah, you're, you're like getting what you want, but I, I'm just curious how that works, too. Do, the, yeah. do they wipe it away on the trade also? 
or do they take the fine money? I, I think those teams are thinking like John Lynch is thinking with Debo Samuel, which seems a lot quieter. But well, he, he was said, there. He showed up yeah, last week. But he showed up in part because before that, John Lynch said, I'd be a fool to, to move him at this stage. He's here. So, um, and I think these teams at this stage, look, A.J. Brown, as much of an idiot he's making himself look like, with his Twitter persona now, and we can get into that, which is new, another chapter. But <laughs> if you didn't win by draft day, which A.J. Brown won, and the Titans lost that battle, mm-hmm. these other three guys lost. Yes. And they've got no recourse now. Especially, like, I, I would understand it if it were, like, I compared, let, hypothetically, let's say D.K. Metcalf or Debo or... Terry McLaurin are on the Indianapolis Colts. There's a lot of pressure on them to get it right. They've just traded right. for Matt Ryan, and you've got a superstar, great receiver Come that in. you're trying to lock in and make sure that you've got him happy and he's ready to go. Like if you're holding out right now in Indy, if you're that type of player, and they don't have it's that player at receiver, then you've got a little juice to it. I don't know if holding out in Seattle has much. You know, I don't know if it has the same ring in Seattle. No, and the recipe there is to go and what? be disgruntled. And if you go there and be disgruntled, your, your, your fan base is already miserable. You've traded away your franchise exactly. quarterback and they're waiting. You're going to become a pariah exactly. and your fan base is going to hate you. Is that really what you want to do is get hated? But it, also, if you want to get traded, now's... Play well. well. Yeah, get traded at the trade deadline because you're going to get it's Go either light before it the draft or at the deadline. And make yourself a commodity that somebody absolutely wants. Are you more likely or less likely to trade for a guy who goes in and, uh, oh, I got a hamstring tweak and I don't want to practice this week, I think coach, the, and all of that crap? I think the real like underlying issue is they have had some talks behind the scenes that, hey, we're going to make we're going to make sure we lock you up long term. We want you here. Same thing with McLaren in, uh, in Washington. And I would the, think the, it's headed that direction in San Francisco. So, okay. Be, right, because he's there. But They've but said he's going to be there. He's gotten enough good info to, to show to feel right. good about it. Right. Yeah. But, but clearly in this case, and one of these guys has the same agent as AJ, right? It's, it's McLaurin, I believe. I think McLaurin um, has the same agent as AJ. And Debo. And Debo, yeah. Um, clearly the talks either stopped or they weren't going the way they thought, so they're using this mandatory minicamp as the th- it's three days long and it's really two practices where he's not showing up. Well, and he, he's making the headlines. And he becomes discussion point on shows like yeah, this. Yeah, some guys think it's statement time, right? Taylor Lewan did it here in Nashville. I think it was after the new CBA, and it was his one thing. He he made his statement, and it's relatively painless. It's not that important. You don't show up for three days. You've you've rung the bell. To notify everybody, hey, I, I'm worth more, and I want everybody to know about it. Then you show up for minicamp, and uh, and you've made your statement. Yep. You feel better. You've gotten it off your chest. You've whatever. And and if if that's it, who cares? You know, look, th- these breathless things. I I think Dockett just too hard on the Indianapolis media guys, the specific guys, because I know them and I like them, and I think they're good reporter porters. Mike Wells in particular, Stephen. Holder in particular. I don't know Zach Kiefer as well, but my God, I read Zach Kiefer's report on Matt Ryan today at, at The Athletic, and it was the most breathless thing I've ever read. And I kept waiting for the line. I'm like, you're waiting too long to say, but it's just minicamp. And there was no, but it's just minicamp. I mean, they were talking about 
uh, Matt Ryan like everything's great. They got Matt Ryan, and this team is back on the Peyton Manning um, Andrew We're back, Luck baby. train. We're back. I mean, it is unbelievable what this team is going to do now with this guy. He is in complete control of everything. Look out. And Paris Campbell, I mean, he was fast, and he caught a lot of balls. Yeah, it's there's a lot of that going on. I mean, every reporter the in the country the knows, like, you can get caught up in that some, but somewhere high in the store, you at least have to offer the disclaimer. But it's June. But it's, no pads. But, but I think, but I think no it's hitting. more difficult to, to not get caught in the wash of that after dealing with uh, so what you watched with Car- Carson Wentz a year ago. Who wasn't but terrible. the context is comparing to Carson Wentz. But you got to throw in the, the disclaimers. Yeah. Um, I'm and, not going out there the next two days and writing anything that glowing. Nothing. Yeah, but, well, but, but he, Paul's referencing About the anybody. Titans. But consider where we were a year ago um, offseason-wise with the Titans versus this offseason. I'm, I'm saying like the, the perception of the team. And the perception of the Indianapolis Colts is – they're in the postseason last year if they have someone better than Carson Wentz. Which is they, true. they have who many consider to be the best running back in football in Jonathan Taylor. I'm not one of them. Um, but if you look, a, look at their roster, they have a very solid roster. But they, they lacked the quarterback demanding that true leadership role that Wentz is just not but, ready right, for. Specifically but, but. with Indianapolis, I, I don't know how the first but – with any type of hype about this team, isn't. But remember what happened in Jacksonville when they had a chance to go to the playoffs a year the ago. The team lacking mentality. And I don't care about Carson Wentz. No, that was the whole team okay. in, that, in that moment. I, I just That should be every rider's butt going into this year. That's for any team in any sport. Well, here's mine. If you had that happen I've to got the worst one. team in the league. I've got a different with one. With no coach. I've got a different one. Uh, Matt Ryan looks spectacular in all of these things, but there's not a hint of a pass rush in these things, and Matt Ryan is an absolute statue. Oh, yeah. It, it, no matter how well he throws more, the ball away, he's going to take sack. It's more of a headline if you don't look good right now and you're a quarterback in the league. Exactly. Right? exactly. Um, coming up, headlines in Major League Baseball, the Braves and Yankees. Yankees have been winning. The Braves. Oh, yeah. A double-digit win streak now. It's unbelievable. They've won 10 games in now. a row and they're still... 11. 11? They've won 11 games in a row and they're still 10 games off the Yankees. Oh, but they're... Here they come. They're not Here playing they the Yankees to the World Series, Paul. Also, uh, Celtics Warriors World game Series, five. I think we might play between now and then. Mini camp this week opening up for uh, all but 15 teams. Two teams are already underway as of yesterday. A lot of headlines over the final hour and 15 minutes. Outkick 360 rolls on. I watched a little uh, Mets and Angels last night randomly. It's a very interesting decision. Viewing uh, decision are the Angels you, still in their funky uniform? You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. They were wearing uh, them this weekend. I don't know. Outkick 360 rolls on. It was on Sunday Night Baseball, and I flipped it on and, and was watching a little bit. Um, and I started looking at the standings, trying to figure out, you know, if, if the Orioles are 25 games out or 20. 
And I noticed that uh, not only the Yankees continue to win, the Braves now, 11 straight. All of a sudden, they've got things rolling. Uh, maybe not hitter to hitter, but the end result, the win-loss column looks a lot better than what it did a week and a half ago, Chad. Well, they've hit a very weak portion of their schedule, and they are feasting on that. You know, the four-game sweep in, in Denver against the Rockies never happened before for the Braves in the history of that series to win a four-game series, to sweep a four-game series at, in, uh, in Denver. Uh, the Pirates getting another four-game sweep. They got the A's, who are terrible, in Atlanta earlier in the okay. week. So they have pieced together 11 straight wins against a very weak portion of their schedule. It's about to pick up a little bit. I feel like they still have. I need to look at the schedule, but maybe one other series gets a really bad team coming up that they could get, you know. But the key thing is, I mean, they went from, and I'm trying to pull up the standings right now, they went from like 11 back already because the Mets would not lose to four and a half or five back over the course of this this winning streak. Mets still don't lose a lot. Which is, which is great. Um, and I, I pulled it up right here. By the way, the Angels... You know, 14 games straight. You mentioned them, Hutton. They're still only four games under 500, you know, and nine games back in their division. They're not out of it by any means, even after losing four, because they were 10 games over 500 when they started the losing streak. They, they, uh, I mean, both teams that fired their managers got immediate results. The Phillies started winning, and the Angels have rebounded. Yeah, the Braves are five and a half back now, seven games over 500. But, I mean, it big... looked like the Mets were going to run away with this thing by the yeah. 4th of July yep. in the division, and now 11 straight for the Braves, and they're, they're right back in That's it. That's strong. Very strong. Yanks, I mean, they just win, it feels like, every day. They're winning. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're on they're, pace to win 119. They're the best team in baseball. You would right imagine now. them to slow down. The amazing thing is they won, like, Friday against the Cubs 2-1. Then they won eight nothing. Then they won eighteen four. They'll win them in any way, shape, or form. And they got a couple guys on their team that suck that are in the lineup every day. Aaron Hicks does not hit. Joey Gallo hits a home run once in a while, does not hit. Uh, Aaron Judge. What he become, hits a homer though? They win two one. Yeah, and Aaron Judge has become their center fielder. Aaron Judge, who turned down what uh, two hundred thirty million, oh. whatever it was. Yeah, he. I mean, if he doesn't get hurt, he's MVP in a runaway. And what does he's that gonna mean for hit his contract? Sixty home runs. He's going to get offered the moon. And look, I've read San Francisco is going to be way interested in him. The Cubs could be way interested in him. There's no way the Yankees can let themselves be outbid for the face of baseball and the guy who wins MVP. So he is going to make an all-time remarkable contract to turn it down that that type of guaranteed money to turn it down and, and say hey we're gonna wait until next year because yeah, of what's about to happen that's doubling down yourself i like that type of confidence by the way the braves their schedule still easy they get the nationals this week and the cubs both double digit games under 500 cubs teams are not good then it picks up they get giants who are seven games over 500 like them and the dodgers <laughs> after that so it's going to start yeah. getting more difficult after these two series well, they've gotten the they've greased the wheels the now, braves right? also historically when i watch them don't fare well against bad nationals teams <laughs> I feel like it's the Nationals when they're bad. When the Nationals Yankees are good, the Braves feast Orioles on them. Teams. But when the Nationals aren't so good, I feel like they do well against the Braves. Yankees have that against bad Orioles teams. I think every team has That's a also team every Orioles like team that. now. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so it's an annual, uh, sorry, annual event. But I think this year the Yanks can handle Orioles, um, the Orioles. Owner. Um, double down on Baltimore. Yeah, so he, he's he's saying they're, they're staying in, in, uh, in Baltimore. And he, he's repeated the same quote again that he, he mentioned a few years back, which was as long as Fort McHenry 
is in Baltimore, the Orioles are going to be there. Look, that, that city is not a problem. It's a good baseball town. The team is a problem. You have to play some good baseball, and people will turn out. It's always well, the, been a good only, baseball town. The only it's a fantastic baseball park. Is the lease. The, the stadium lease is up after, uh, next year. So that, that's, this is the posturing that goes on between ownership and, and local and statewide governments whenever the lease is up. Yeah, Orioles need to make some pledges about getting better. That, that, to me, that's the biggest thing about the lease. Well, that, the stadium's a great attraction, and the team would be a great attraction if it would play better baseball, get better I, players. But the, 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 I, I agree. I want them to play better. Trust me. Um, I don't know what – if you're a pro sports team in the major – four major uh, sports right now in America, and you're, the, the ownership says, um, hey, we're going to extend this lease, and it's going to be beneficial for us, and we're going to do this, 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 and you're going to commit to this – I don't know how you come back and say, uh, commit to winning. Because the response is, we'll look elsewhere. We're going to lobby to go to Vegas. Because they'll, they'll build a stadium for well, us. Well, they just said they're not going to look elsewhere. Well, I know. But, so they've given away their chip. Well, that. I guess. Well, the, and that the chip, chip is, though, came the lease in a, is expiring. The chip came in a lawsuit. right? One brother accusing the other brother who lives in Nashville of wanting to move the team. So I don't know that they were ever really playing the chip other than one brother accusing something of what that brother is now saying is not true. Yeah, I don't no. think in certain so, markets you can play the chip. Yeah. To me, Baltimore is one of those markets. Uh, but they're not leaving. But Peter, I, but, they're, they're not leaving the same way the Red Sox aren't leaving. But Peter I, Angelos, I, don't, I don't buy that with any market, though. Peter if the Angelos, money's right, they'll leave. His son, John, lives here in Nashville. His, I didn't know that, did you? Um, but that was the story from the Baltimore Banner. He lives here and has lived here for some time. The difference in the story five years ago to now is John Angelos is – essentially running the team because of the health of Peter Angelos. His younger brother, Lewis, has took it, took him to court saying that he should also get some say in the franchise, which brought up the story about Baltimore leaving. It's not happening, though, and that's coming from John, who lives in Nashville. More on Outkick 360 next.